Welcome to the Sisterhood & Co. podcast. I'm your host, Harriet Blevins. This podcast is designed to empower, educate, and encourage women of all ages and stages of life in their walk with God. Our goal and intent is to provide you with the best content and topics relevant to your lives as Christians. We will have conversations with other leaders all along the way and discuss topics all of us want and need to hear. I'm so happy you're here, and I hope you enjoy the journey with me. Hello, beautiful people. I am so happy you decided to join me on today's episode of the Sisterhood & Co. podcast. I'm your host, Harriet Blevins, and I hope you enjoy our time together today. As always, I want to thank you for dropping in because I know we are all busy and we all have a long list of to-dos, so thank you for being with us today. My goal and intent for this space is to create a place where women feel empowered to live out their God-given destiny and also to establish a dialogue that is interesting and culturally relevant to our lives today. So if you're new here, welcome, and I hope you'll come back for more. Today, we are wrapping up our series in Nehemiah. If you have missed the other two episodes, I want to encourage you to go back and grab those. We cover a lot of ground there. But today, I want to focus us on two chapters— Nehemiah 5 and Nehemiah 6. The first part of Nehemiah 5 focuses on how Nehemiah came to understand the leaders and the nobles of the country and the city and how they were using usury against the people in order to gain wealth and money. This was causing a great hardship on the people in general. Now, doesn't that sound familiar today? The Federal Reserve drives up the interest rates, right? which is usury. So our mortgage payments are sometimes double what they were a year ago. How many of you love paying $10 a dozen for your eggs right now? Or almost $4 for a tank of gas, right? Everywhere we look, the cost of everything has risen in the last two and a half years. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to see where all this stems from. It has caused the people in our nation, our brothers and sisters, to mourn and cry out. People have had to sell their houses, their lands, their goods to try to pay their bills. We are not in a good place, and most economists are saying it doesn't look good in the near future either. We have just called up 80,000 reserve military to put on the ground in Europe in case the proxy war in Ukraine leads us into full-time war with Russia and or China. We are not in a good spot, and war is always expensive. It is costly in lives and in resources, and it is never good. So I want to read to you starting today in Nehemiah 5, verse 6. So I've covered the first part of five with the issue of usury. So here we are starting in verse six. He says, Then I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words, and I consulted with myself. Have y'all ever had to consult with yourself? I mean, sometimes I do. I have to just have a little sidebar with myself sometimes and go, what is actually happening right here? What is this about? That's what Nehemiah did. He consulted with himself, and then he contended with the nobles and the rulers and said to them, you are exacting usury, each from his brother. Therefore, I held a great assembly against them, and I said to them, we, according to our ability, have redeemed our Jewish brothers who were sold to the nations. Now, would you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us? 
Then they were silent and could not find a word to say. And again, I said to them, the thing which you are doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the nations of our enemies? I mean, y'all, he is he is giving these, these bankers, basically, a, a talking to. He says, and likewise, I and my brothers, my servants, we are lending them our money and our grain. Please let us leave off this usury. Please give back to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive groves, their houses, also the hundredth part of the money and of the grain, the new wine, the oil that you're exacting from them. And then they said, we will give it back and we will, we will require nothing of them. We will do exactly as you say. So I called the priest and took an oath from them that they would do it according to this promise. So he made them swear on an oath that they would do this, like contractually. I also shook out the front of my garment and said, thus may God shake out every man from his house and from his possessions who does not fulfill this promise. Even thus he may be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, amen, and they praised the Lord. Then the people did according to this promise. Whoa. That is quite a piece of passage right there. I mean, Nehemiah is aggressive. He takes no prisoners. He has had it, and he is calling for change. Verse 14 says, Moreover, from that day, I was appointed to be their governor. Can't you imagine? I bet he was in the land of Judah. From the 20th year to the 32nd year of King Adarzerses, for 12 years, neither I nor my kinsmen have eaten the governor's food allowance. But the former governors who were before me, they laid all these burdens on the people and took for them bread and wine baskets and 40 shekels of silver, and even their servants domineered the people. But I did not do so because of the fear of God. And I also applied myself to the work on this wall. We did not buy any land, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, they, there were at my table 150 Jews and officials besides those of us who came from the nations that were around us. Y'all, he is saying he was feeding 150 people at his own table. Now that which was prepared for each day was an ox, six choice sheep, also birds were prepared for me. And once in 10 days, all sorts of wine was furnished in abundance. Yet for all of this, I did not demand the governor's food allowance because the servitude was heavy on this people. Then he says this, remember me, oh my God, for good according to all that I have done for this people. He took it to God. Nehemiah keeps himself to a high standard, doesn't he? Almost perfectly. It almost seems a little too high, but he does it. Remember, he's aggressively pursuing his passion because he knows that the one way, the true way to recovery can only happen for his nation is if God himself is leading the way, for God to be fighting for them. That leads us down to our very last chapter of study today, chapter six. And here we see the enemy's plot unfold. By the way, I think if you and I ask God, He will always show us beforehand what the enemy is doing. Chapter 6, verse 1 says, Now it came about when it was reported to Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshem, you know, the really good guys, to the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and that no breach remained in it, although at that time I had not set up the doors and the gates that Sambalat and Geshem sent a message to me saying, Come, let us meet together at Shephrim in the plain of Ono. 
that they were planning to harm me. So I sent messengers to them saying, I'm doing a great work. I cannot come down. Why would the work stop while I have to leave it and come down to you? And they sent messages to me four times. Can you imagine that? They sent messages four times to him, oh, saying, why? Sorry, in this manner, and I answered them in the same way. And then Samballot sent his servant to me in the same manner a fifth time with an open letter in his hand. And it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Gashmu says that you and the Jews are planning to rebel. That is why you are rebuilding the wall, and you are to be their king according to these reports, and you also have appointed prophets to proclaim in Jerusalem concerning you. A king is now in Judah, and now it will be reported to the king according to these reports. So come now, let us take counsel together. Then I sent my messenger to him, saying, such things as you are saying have not been done, but you are inventing them in your own mind, for all of them were trying to frighten us, thinking— they will become discouraged when the work with the work and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. Oh, here we see intimidation firsthand. See, intimidation is always a tactic of the devil because it tries to instill fear. But remember, we are to have power, love, and a strong mind, not fear. We also are to have a perfect love, which casts out all fear. And Nehemiah was well aware of this too. Notice, they didn't just try to stop it once. They came with messages four times and then a fifth. Nehemiah basically said to them, why in the world would I stop what has God has called me to do and even listen to you, to even give you a tiny bit of my focus and attention? Some of you listening to this podcast today, you need to hear that. Stop giving people your energy and focus that are not for you. Stop giving time and attention to those who are set against you. I say this all the time at Sisterhood, but reach over and unplug the power to that. Now, I'm not saying you declare World War III with another person. I'm saying you stop empowering them to exercise power over you. Impl unplug that. Unfollow them. Turn your attention away from them. Move away and then get busy doing what God has called you to do. Even if they try to bring intimidation to you, stay the course. Get in your lane and stay the course. Keep your hand building while the other hand warfares. Ask the Lord to strengthen your hands and your mind. Tim and I have had to do this over and over again in the years of ministry. We have had so many people come along with their vision of what the church should be. They howl and they bark and they try to rearrange the order of things. They don't like our no's. They only like our yeses. So we have had to learn how to stay the course and not be deterred. Even when the flaming arrows have landed inside of our camp, we have had to encourage one another at times. We need each other, and we need to remind each other what God has said. We constantly go back to the words of Jesus himself who said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You may need to do that over and over and over while you're building. During the recovery process, it's important to know this. So let's go to verse 10. It says, And when I entered the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, 
who was confined at home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple and let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you and they are coming to kill you at night. But I said, should a man like me flee? And could one such as I go into the temple and save his life? I will not go in. Then I perceived that surely God had had not sent him, but he uttered his prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. He was hired for this reason that I might become frightened and act accordingly and sin so that they might have an evil report in which they could reproach me. Remember, oh my God, Tobiah and Sambala, according to these works of theirs, and also Noadiah, the prophetess, and the rest of the prophets who were trying to frighten me. There was a woman in there too, Noadiah, the prophetess. She was lending her voice to the evil too, and they were all trying to frighten him. Gosh, I mean, these people don't quit, right? I mean, they got a whole tribe of people coming against him. Have you ever heard of such corruption? Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Hiring people to do and say things that are outright lies, keeping the truth from ever being reported in order to stop the work of the Lord. I think it sounds exactly like what we are dealing with today in America. Every day we hear new things and exposures, cocaine found in the White House, no investigation as to who it may belong to, the first family in bed with foreign nations to bribe and swindle money and funds for themselves. The proxy war in Ukraine where millions of American taxpayer dollars are going. The demise of our defense agencies, which are supposed to be protecting our nation's interests. And our military now rooted so deeply in transgenderism and all of its ditches that we are saying we aren't quite ready for war, both in troop numbers and now in ammunition, too, because we've sent most of it to Ukraine. There's way more too. Those are just a few that I have right off the top of my head. And I'm telling you today, we need a recovery mission. We need to become the Nehemiahs of our day to aggressively step into God's rescue mission and declare, I'm here and I'm ready to take my place. Verse 15 says, So the wall was completed on the 25th of the month of Elul in 52 days. The work was completed in 52 days. Now, that doesn't even seem possible, does it? They had no backhoes. They had no heavy equipment. They only had the people working and warring at the same time. I wonder what could happen in our nation. Let's say the church in our nation, if we would get busy getting back to our place on the wall, picking up our weapons, picking up our tools, rallying our families, pushing back the voice of the enemy even 10 times if need be, staying focused and not quitting. I wonder in 52 days time, what would our situation here look like? If you're like me and ready to see a change, ready to work with God and bring it about, then I want you to give me a hearty amen wherever you are, putting your makeup on, driving your kids in carpool, Um, on your daily walk, wherever you are. Just give me an amen, and then let's get to it. Each man, woman, and child to their places with their weapons in hand, and let's watch our God fight for us. Remember, it takes you and I doing our part first. Then God will do what only He can do. He routes the enemy, and He changes history forever, and He invites us into the recovery with Him. I invite you today to go read the rest of Nehemiah's fascinating story in the weeks to come, and I think you will love it. That's all I have for us today.
As always, I want to pray for you before we go. Dear Jesus, we belong to you. We are yours. We thank you for never leaving us without a way through. Thank you for new strategies and tactics, and thank you for tested and tried tools and weapons too. And most of all, thank you for the victory we can see coming, not only for your church, but for this nation. We lift her up to you, and we thank you for her. We ask that you would rally the remnant to the sound of the trumpet and let us stand and see the deliverance of our God. We love you, and we thank you for being the kindest one we know. Thank you that you are the God who always causes us to triumph. In your precious name, we pray each word, Jesus. Amen and amen. All right, the tip of the day. Today's tip is something I don't really ever feel like I've been very good at, and it's true for most people in the West, but the tip is to expose yourself to all age groups. Expose yourself to all age groups. Now, most of us still feel young, even when we aren't anymore. So young people have never been hard for me. I've always kind of gravitated towards them, and I think that's one reason why Sisterhood has many young women that are a part of it but also, likewise, the older women. The book of Timothy tells us that the older women are to teach us how to love our husbands and our children and how to be keepers of the home. Can you believe we have to be taught how to love our husbands, love our children, and be keepers of the home? And in today's crazy, gender barbied world, those are fighting words. So don't shoot the messenger. It's in the actual Bible. My whole adult life, I've had to rely on older women to help me navigate through the hard spots in my life. They just know stuff that I didn't know when I was younger. Experience and age, it kind of has a way of doing that to us. Tim and I try to find time to hang out with people of all different ages, older, younger, and everything in between. See, it enlarges us. It makes us better. It keeps us young-ish, and it makes us wiser. So today... Take stock of your life, your acquaintances. Move away from thinking your your circle should only look like people who are the same age as you or in the same station of life as you. Truly, the only time in life that is even possible is when we're in school. And hopefully, most of us have matured and grown past those ways of thinking and living as we have gotten older. Recently, I was watching my son Eli at church. He was moving through the lobby area and he talked to more older people than he did anyone his age. And the older people, older than me, they seem to love him. He talks to them, and he listens to them, and he really, truly cares for them. There's this one particular lady that he loves. Her name is Bev, and she is a close and dear friend of mine. She has had some big health issues over this last year, and Eli's heart has been moved to intercession for her. He will often ask me if I've been praying for her or if I've talked to her. That is very precious to me. By the way, he's 29 years old, but he's carrying the generations inside of his heart, not just the younger generations, but those much, much ahead of him. And it is enlarging his life and his ministry. It is giving him a greater capacity to love others. So today, give that a try. I bet your heart will swell with love for a new season of people you didn't even know really existed. 
Now, that's all I have for today. And as always, I want to thank you for joining me on today's episode of the Sisterhood & Co. podcast. I hope you heard something that you can take and use in your own life. I hope your spirit woman was stirred and called higher. And I also hope you'll join me again soon. Until then, go make your life awesome. Awesome.